Hello, and welcome to another episode of Patrons and Partnerships. My name is Tina, and today we are pleased to have as our guest Candace Jones. Hi, Candace. Hi. I want to thank you for coming in today um, for this interview. You are actually our very first patron for Patrons and Partnerships, so thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. And if you don't mind, just briefly introduce yourself. Well, as you've already said, my name's Candace Jones, and um, I'm a registered guide with the Association of Nature and Forest Therapy. And so I'm here to share my experience of guiding people through nature therapy and also my experience as a participant. Okay. Um, where would you like to start? Would you like to start as, as a participant? I mean, how were you introduced to nature therapy? Hmm. So my first introduction was actually in 2016, 2016 or 2017. It was for a paper that I wrote in um, English composition. For, uh, it was for class, and it was in reference to finding a problem and an actionable solution. That was our prompt, and we, it could be on anything. And so I was just researching chronic illness. Um, my mom had just recently suffered a stroke, and I could just see in our community that chronic stress was the, the precursor to a lot of things, not just strokes, but diabetes, high blood pressure. And my mom was dealing with all three of those. And so it was just fresh on my heart, fresh on my mind. And one of the articles that I came across in my research was about a doctor in, um, in Oakland, Oakland, California, Dr. Nusheen Razini. And she was actually treating children for chronic stress. And so it really caught my attention, and she was using nature. She was prescribing nature to her patients. And I'd never heard of anything like that before, but I thought, wow, what a great idea. Because we've heard, I don't know if anybody else has, but I'd heard of, um, you know, stories where patients who were in rooms with bigger windows that were facing trees or natural spaces, how they would heal faster than, like, the other patient in the same room with the same kinds of illnesses. And so I, I had that mental awareness of that as being a possibility, but reading her research and how powerful these sessions that she was not only prescribing, but creating for her patients and their families, like the effects on them, it was just so moving to me. So that was my initial introduction to nature therapy. And something else to note is that she didn't just prescribe them to the patients and like trust that, okay, they'll figure out a way to do it. She would organize weekly events where she would charter a bus and just have her patients meet her and she would take them to a space, them and their families. So yeah, that was powerful to me and I just kept digging from there. So a little bit more about prescribing nature to patients. Have you followed up with that research to see what sort of outcomes that those patients have had? Not those specific patients. The way I approached the paper that I wrote was if this is being done there, I wanted to see where else it was being done. And so I, I went to the root. And it turns out that shinrin-yoku, it's a Japanese word, that's something that I guess that was coined in the 80s that the government was using as an initiative to encourage the population to spend more time in nature, but at the same time to concentrate on conservation efforts, like to preserve natural green spaces. Okay, so you you completed the paper, you turned it in, and what came next? 
Okay, so like all really great thoughts, they sat on a shelf for me for a minute. And it wasn't until 2019, um, the end of the year, with the pandemic. We were mom's primary caregivers at the time, and so we were on lockdown a lot sooner than other people might have been, just out of precaution and not really knowing what laid ahead. And I remembered that paper, and then I just went into some of the research that I'd done. And I thought, oh, well, let's do this, Mom. We'll just, like, instead of being completely, completely locked down, because this wasn't official, you know, uh, the city wasn't on lockdown. We were just exercising precaution in our family. But we would take regular breaks outside in the apartment complex where we lived. They did a great job of maintaining a green space, and it made a nice little loop, and there were lots of trees there. And so we just started using that in our garden as a way to spend more time in nature. And it seemed beneficial. My mom liked it. I liked it. It kept me from going stir crazy. And at the time, our complex had little garden beds that you could kind of uh, rent out. And so we were doing that. And at that point, were you starting to feel that sort of passion to become more involved with nature therapy to continue your exploration of that? Yes, because what I noticed, I became more curious. That's probably the word. If you've ever gone to like a yoga or meditation class, have you noticed the difference? Like if you try to meditate on your own versus going to a class and you have someone prompting you for meditation? Uh, yes. Well, not meditation, but yoga. For yoga. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Yes. For me, it's a very different experience if I do it by myself versus going somewhere and I have the prompts. And so I became more curious because I noticed that I was um, spending a lot of time mentating or when I'd go on the walks with mom, I would have this problem that I started with, a lot like if I go on a hike by myself. I'd have a problem that started on my mind, and I would work through the problem during the walk or work through the problems while gardening, which is nice. And it did feel nicer to be outside in the sunshine amongst the trees than in the apartment doing the same thing. However, I felt like this doesn't feel like therapy exactly. It feels, feels good, and it feels like I'm working through something Maybe it was therapy. I just didn't feel the relax that I was hoping for, that I thought that being in nature could do. So you were at that point maybe looking for some more intentional therapy, more guidance to enact those prompts like while you were out in, in nature? When you said intentional, that really struck a chord. So yes, I thought there's got to be another way to have a deeper experience with the natural world because I'm... Some days, some days, I would be so empty-minded or like no worries that I would notice interesting things in the tree's bark. And this may sound strange to some, but like sometimes I would see like little expressions in the, the bark of the tree or I'd notice birds that are coming to the same spot over and over again. And that was very unique. That would happen like one out of seven times. That wasn't a constant and so, yes, the intentional part of like having more of a communal experience with the natural world became a desire. And that is when I came into contact with the Association of Nature and Forest Therapy. Can you talk more about that? What the practice theory, the research behind that, any of the above? Yes, absolutely. So now we're in 2020 and we're in official lockdown. <laughs> when this happens. And it was really through a Google search. Prior to that, though, I had checked out a book from the library, the Shinrin-yoku Forest Bathing by Dr. Li Ching. That's where the intentional part came in. I wanted that experience of having less worries walk with me. 
spending that time with me that I wanted to just be very aware of my surroundings and really see the living things around me. And uh, that book was very eye-opening. It started to talk about the uh, phyton sides. It, it talked a lot about the scientific reasons for being in nature or spending time with trees and all of the benefits that can be had from this relationship with nature, you know, just by being there. It went a little bit further to talk about how you could have those experiences even if you weren't next to a green space. So that was really cool. And the next book that I came in contact with at the library was by Clifford Amos, and it's called Forest Bathing. This book was the bridge from what I wanted to experience, the intention and the peace from being in nature and realizing that I didn't have to take all of my thoughts with me on the walk. I'd like to talk a little bit about, or have you talk a little bit about the connection between the nature therapy and conservation. Mm -hmm. Once you started the actual practice, not just an interest or curiosity, but actually started being more mindful in your practice, did you feel that you were connecting more with nature than you even realized you would? Hmm. That's a great question. Does that question. make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, the spirit of what you're saying, I really get it. And yes, is my first answer in that it was more profound than what I expected. Mm -hmm. So from starting my journey with this discovery from a very, more like a scientific approach of problem solution, and then going beyond that into intention, the experience necessarily became more profound. So the first book that I read on forest bathing by Dr. Li Ching, it was really looking at the science behind things, the cause and effect. Stress does this to the body. Nature offers this to the body. Calmness does this. You know, meditating and reflecting has these positive benefits. But the book by um, Amos Clifford, that one talks more about the practice from a conceptual place. I don't know if that's the right word, but it's, it's more cohesive. It brings the entire picture together so that you can see how you fit in it. And so as opposed to looking at nature as something separate from myself that I was experiencing as an outsider, when I started to read this book, the forest bathing book by um, Clifford, I started to see myself as part of the picture, like part of nature, not separate from it, but like this is a shared experience. And so in any shared experience like this conversation, it's a back and forth kind of exchange. So then nature became more of a living, it became more tangible in the experience, in the relationship. Well, that sounds really valuable. And I think, I mean, we can agree that it's something that is somewhat lost to us in our day-to-day -day lives. Can you talk about what your practice is when you, okay, so let's pick up though, where you, it became more intentional. You began doing more research. You, it became more of a cohesive idea for you and you actually went out and started practicing. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about from that point, your progress? So yeah, it became a part of my practice and then I looked for ways to make it, to kind of cement it. I'm not very good with routines, so I'll be great at following a practice for like a couple of weeks. And then, hmm, it kind of flies off like butterflies. But I didn't want this to be that. I didn't want this to be like a temporary experience. It's something I wanted to keep with me and to hold on to. 
So I needed to anchor it down with something. And that's when I found out about the training to become a guide. And I thought, okay, this is something, it looks like the study and the practicum would allow me to kind of anchor it into my soul so that I don't forget it. And I was right. So COVID had a lot to do with changing the dynamics of the time because the courses were put into a Zoom module kind of experience as opposed to an in-person for the initial part. And I'm still waiting to have my in-person experience just because school, time, work, responsibilities have not lined up for me to have that immersion experience yet. But the six months with the trainers and going through the modules and then having time to reflect on the assignments, it brought a a new level of appreciation to the experience, but it also did what I was hoping for. It really anchored it into my being so that I could understand what I was experiencing and then be able to share it with someone else. And that's what I wanted to bring up next was the sharing with others, because it's something that, I mean, it's great if you have it for yourself, but it's also something that you know, it's something that would greatly benefit through sharing. Have you started doing guided walks and in nature therapy with other people? Yes. And thankfully, you were one of the people. Yes, yes. (laughs) I was going to bring that up, but (laughs) other people, not me, other people. (laughs) One of the wonderful things about the, the course is that that was part of our training that we would extend this opportunity to others. And the tricky part about that was that we were all in isolation for a good chunk of my training course. And so learning to navigate the situation was very interesting. And so our approaches, we mirrored a lot of what our instructors were doing. So my mom and my daughter, my husband, they were my initial crew. And I would take them out on walks and practice what I'd learned in our sessions and just see how they responded and tweak things with them. But while we were in lockdown, um, experiencing this via Zoom and telephone calls, I saw how powerful it was that I didn't physically have to be present because it wasn't so much about the trainer, like the physical contact with the trainer. If they were in a very centered and grounded space within themselves, then they were just great facilitators for me creating my own experience. And they were, they became the anchor again for my thoughts that might wander by just giving me a prompt. And so the way our training took place for the experiences that we had outdoors, the trainer who's thousands of miles away sometimes would give us prompts, but we would be in our own natural outdoor setting. Or for some of us who were ill, maybe we were inside and we were looking out at this space. But the prompts were so open and so simple. It's incredible how this happened but they also connected us with very real, tangible, sensory experiences. And so we were able to be guided through a therapy session with ourselves, and no one else was around. And it was just from very simple prompts. And so when I initially started sharing, it was like this, like over the phone, via Zoom, for people outside of my family. And um, recently... I guess within the last couple of years, I've had the experience of actually taking groups out. And this is, you know, Gainesville, and I'm kind of closer to the swamp (laughs) where we live. Um, So sometimes it's pleasant to be amongst the trees, and sometimes it's very not so pleasant. And so I found spaces that maybe don't have as many trees along the path as might be the traditional forest bathing. But definitely there's a lot of natural green space, you know, grasses, the water. We got beautiful waters here, springs. 
that are just as um, instrumental in reminding us of our connection to the natural world. So, mm -hmm. I really enjoyed our walk. We went to the Sweetwater Preserve, and it's surrounded by trees at certain points, but mostly it's open space, but there's a lot of water and a lot of wildlife. And, you know, we're so busy in our lives that we don't slow down. And one of the first prompts that you gave was to, you pointed to a distance that was not very far, I think maybe 100, 200 feet. And you said, okay, walk slowly to that point. I'm paraphrasing, but just feel the ground under your feet, pay attention to your senses, what you hear. But you said, I think you gave us 10 minutes to walk to that point. And it was really, it really set the stage for the rest of the experience because I'm a fast walker traditionally. And to slow down that much and really it opens up your senses because I was thinking, I remember initially, I, I could walk to that point like in 10 minutes, probably 15, 20, 30 times. But to slow down that much and feel the ground beneath my feet, hear the wind past my ears and really connect with my surroundings. It was powerful. And toward the end, you sort of improvised a prompt. And again, I just, it moved me so much. I, we, I don't know if you want to talk about it, picking up the rocks, mm -hmm. um, if you'll mention what we did there. I'd love to. Thank you so much. And I felt just as moved in the experience. So thank you for being present. With the rocks, we picked up rocks that resonated with us, like for no apparent reason. We kind of went back to our five-year-old selves that pick up things anyway and just felt the heaviness of the rocks and the lightness of rocks. And sometimes we don't think about the yin and yang of things, how they're like basically happening simultaneously, that something can be heavy and also light at the same time. And we were just connecting with whatever we were experiencing personally with those rocks, whatever we might have carried with us up to that point that might have still been kind of lingering in our minds or on our hearts. And we allowed that to be represented by the heaviness of whatever rocks felt heavy in our hands. And we just walked with that. We didn't try to fix it. We weren't like this was not one of those kinds of let's work out the problem. <laughs> we just walked with the rock and allowed it to be on the journey with us, knowing that we were aware of it while we were looking at the beautiful birds and noticing the gators and just being present. And at some point when we felt moved to and free to, we let go of the rock wherever it felt natural. I think for me, I let mine go into the water and I just watched it sink. And that was very, for me, therapeutic. And for you? For myself as well. And I actually have gone back to that moment of letting go of the rock and what it represented. It's been very freeing, I would say, to think about the emotion or the feeling that I put into that rock and then recognizing that I have left it down at the bottom of that patch of water. So when I have had similar feelings since then, I try to like be conscious of, oh, no, I left that there. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I'm not carrying that with me anymore. So, yeah, it was it was an amazing experience. Can you I, we should probably wrap this up at some point. Otherwise, we could talk all day. It would be very interesting to have further conversations 
but I feel like we're doing an introduction to this. Can you talk about how this journey has changed you? Absolutely. I am by nature a fixer. Like I see a problem and I immediately want to fix it. I want it no longer to exist. (laughs) And these past few years have been incredibly challenging. I mean, how many of us don't feel that way? I would love for COVID-19 not to exist anymore, along with several other pandemics (laughs) and problems that people are experiencing in the world. And just acknowledging that, one, I don't have that type of control. And just accepting that and being okay with that. And being also okay with the fact that I don't know. Like you were talking about the prompts. This is what I love about nature therapy or the way I've been taught and the way I've learned to, to guide is that I don't have to know in advance what I'm going to say or what I'm going to do. I need to be aware of my surroundings and be aware of everyone's safety. I need to be conscious of that. But I don't need to have the exact words. And to trust that the natural world around me is also very alive and present to the moment and that it will give me the prompts at the right time because I really don't know what everyone's going through. Like I had no idea what your journey was on that day, that week for that walk. And that's the same for anyone who would, who would come and participate. I can't know what's going on in other people's lives. In general, I imagine that everyone is going through it at least as much as I am, if not more. And so it's very comforting to me to carry this thought with me that this natural world that we're all a part of is in the journey with us together. And so we don't have to have all the answers. Just like those prompts, they come at the right time if we're listening, if we're open, if we're moving slow enough to hear them. Because the natural world does not move at our 21st century pace. And so a lot of times it's it's communicating with us and we're missing it because we're just moving too fast. Well, and we're in opposition to it so often, or at least we've set ourselves up to be. It's unfortunate, and perhaps, I don't know if it's intentional that people, that we find ourselves in opposition, or if it's just a matter of not being present, you know, and not recognizing that we are a part of it. How can we, it's like trying to oppose yourself. I mean, I can sit in the mirror and and bash myself, but that won't be very productive. And I think that we're starting to understand that with the natural world, like it's a part of us. We are a part of it. So to the extent that we are damaging and causing harm to the world we live in, we're harming ourselves. But again, we notice that better when we're not moving so fast. The fast movement, the pace that we try to maintain, it's not only distracting, but it keeps that, you know, like when you're on the freeway and you're driving really fast and you lower the windows And someone could be talking to you, but you can't understand what they're saying because the speed, the winds, it's going so fast you can't hear anything but the wind. And I feel like in our lives, sometimes we're moving so fast, all we can hear is the wind. But we slow down, we take that to the turtle pace, and we're like, oh my gosh, is that what you said? (laughs) That's huge. We wonder why turtles live so long. (laughs) So how... Have you started doing the walks? Are you continuing to do the walks, the guided walks? And how would someone get information about signing up for a walk? So what I proposed and what I would love to do is offer these as part of community service. 
And I think the libraries are the perfect spot because not only for literature and reading and books, but libraries have become hubs of information and connection. And I noticed that so much in the post-quarantining of pandemics, you know, like everybody was rushing out. And I love you guys so much. (laughs) And just seeing you help everybody on the computers and taxes and, and insurances. I mean, all kinds of things happen in this space that people would not imagine. It's not just a place with shelves and books. And so seeing that and seeing how this draws the community as a resource, then I would like to find a way to offer these walks using the library as a hub. So if people are interested and they'd like to have this experience, then perhaps we can go and enjoy it together. I mean, there's lots of green space just around this one branch, but there's several branches in our our county. As I've basically been trying to figure out how to reach more people, as I'm not really interested in making this a job or trying to earn money doing it, but people who would appreciate it and want to have the experience and would also benefit from it. So that's what you and I've been like chit-chatting about. Mm -hmm. And we will continue to do so. I really like the idea of figuring out how to incorporate it into library programming. So we'll uh, keep the community posted to any future partnerships. Mm -hmm. And then you'll be not only a patron, but a partner as well. So Thank you so much, Candace, for coming here today and sharing. I think it's it's an amazing experience. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And, well, I love talking about these kinds of things. It just reinforces it in my own little soul that I'm in the right spot at the right time. Thanks for listening to Patrons and Partnerships. If you know of an individual or organization you'd like to recommend for an interview, email us at lpsfprogram at gmail.com. To listen to more episodes, find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. And be sure to check out the Alachua County Library on Spotify while you're there for chill playlists to read to, handpicked by our librarians.